CliffCentral.com Good morning and welcome to Disrupt with me, Mpumint Lapo, here on Cliff Central. Thank you for joining us for another very interesting episode of the show. With me in the studio today, I've got Mr. Akram Mohammed from Huawei Mobile. Akram, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, and you, Bumi. Good. Thank you for joining us on the show. Um, Akram, you are the uh, Product Marketing Director at Huawei Mobile. That's correct. Is that correct? Specifically, which products are you director for? Is it across? It's across all product range, um, and it's product market director for South Africa. So I'm responsible for the positioning, the messaging, and how we actually take product to market. Fantastic, fantastic. Our conversation today, though, is not about mobile devices. It's predominantly going to be around artificial intelligence. That's and interesting that somebody who works for a, a cell phone a company is an authority on artificial intelligence, but we're going to delve into that. But very quickly, your background, um, how long have you been with Huawei for? How did you get into this space? I've been with Huawei for the last three and a half years. Um, I've been in the mobile space for 15 years. Okay. So I've always been really, really interested in, in technology and the trends and whatever's happening in, in, in mobile technology. Okay. Um, so I've joined Huawei in 2014 and I've, I've served various roles and product marketing being the most recent one. And right now my interest is a lot around artificial intelligence because Huawei as a brand is pioneering this as mobile technology. Okay. Thank you. And given that, you know, every conversation we have today is about disruption. I mean, uh, you know, this year alone, there've been multiple conferences. I saw another one yesterday that something to do with disruption in HR. Um, and inevitably, um, you know, when you start talking about disruption, the topic of artificial intelligence then also comes into the picture. Um, before we get into it, can you maybe just quickly define what is artificial intelligence um, in simple terms for us? Yeah, I think it's it's very important for us to demystify artificial intelligence. Um, you know, you've got two extremes in the market right now. You've got people that are very optimistic about this new technology. What's happening? Is it going to revolutionize um, the, the way human beings interact uh, or, or everything we do? And then on the other extreme, you've got fear, absolute fear. And this is driven a lot by the Terminator movies. Yeah. Yes. You know, and when you search artificial intelligence on the internet as well, um, you, you would find the first images that would pop up would be those of robots with red eyes. But these are the kinds of stories that sell. Okay. And what AI actually is, it's the ability for machines to learn and to become better at what they do and almost to, to, to improve and to become closer to humans as possible. And if you look at our machines and our mobile devices, whether it's our laptop, our cell phones, or everything we interact with, even our vehicles, because we have self-driving cars now, these uh, devices expand and, and make us more productive. And in order for it to allow us to become more productive, AI gives it this ability by being able to learn through usage patterns and through data. And that essentially is what artificial intelligence is about. It's not going to bring on doomsday. It's here to say, how can we move on and how can we help human beings to be more productive in everyday life? Fantastic. And so um, how do we then differentiate that from machine learning? Because I know um, the, the early um, advances in artificial intelligence were around uh, machine learning. What's the difference between the two? So machine learning is an aspect of artificial intelligence. Okay. Uh, I think firstly, let, let's define the different types of artificial intelligence that we have. Absolutely. You, you, you've got narrow artificial intelligence, which is what we're currently using, and it's available absolutely everywhere. So in the likes of, for example, social media, your Facebook, your Twitters, you would often get recommendations and friend recommendations, etc. Product recommendations that, on Amazon. 
and things correct. like that. Yes, correct. Um, if you go onto YouTube or Netflix and you watched a video or a movie previously, it will recommend something else based on your likes and what it's learned. Okay. So this is narrow artificial intelligence that's able to learn through your usage patterns, but it's it's very good at one specific task. Then you have general AI, and general AI takes it closer to to human capability, where it's able to learn based on your needs, but also develop that knowledge over time and add on more functionality. And that is where everybody is trying to go. We're not there yet, okay. uh, but that is where the AI space is aiming to get to. And then you have super artificial intelligence. And that is where people are, are terrified, where you almost get a singularity, where it grows so fast and the technology developed itself so rapidly. That before you know it, the AI is actually smarter than than mankind, um, and it can it, it'll be able to create even more AI in the future, or create more systems that'll then enhance itself and replicate itself. So that is something hopefully we're not going to get in uh, get to in the very near future. What we're focusing right now on is the general AI. And re- to answer your question about machine learning, yes. So machine learning is an aspect of this where. The entire system is artificial intelligence, but machine learning is the the software and the code and the chip and the hardware and everything put together that enables this machine to develop knowledge through data sets. Okay. So now um, my understanding is that even though we call it artificial intelligence, it's still born from human beings. So somebody programs or develops these systems. Is that a correct statement? Yes, definitely. So human beings would create this. Um, and, and, you know, we, we look at intelligence in a very basic term where we, we find that, I mean, let's take an example of, of a chimp and, and human beings. Okay. Both are intelligent creatures, but they have their limitations. So a human being is at a, a level higher because it's able to have the emotion. It's being able to, it's a, a level smarter where it can think and make decisions and, um, Develop and create Whereas on the For a chimp for example It is smart And we'd like to look at them Play and do And do tricks But they're not at the level That we are Hmm. So similarly with With AI the human beings would create the machine. Okay. They would put in machine learning and they will create algorithms. But the machine is able to take in the knowledge. So to remember that AI works on data sets. Yes. And we have loads of data in the world. I mean, on the internet, in terms of social media, financial institutions. We have all this data that's available, but not really much is being done with it. So with the machine, because they can process so much faster than we can. Yes. Okay. And that is, I think that's the key is that they're able to take this and do something with it much quicker than a human can. It's, it's tr- able to take that knowledge or that information, transfer it to knowledge. And, uh, and that's where the intelligence comes from. If you take something as simple as a calculator, you could look at that as being intelligent because although it's such a simple mechanism, you be able the computational power. It can be able to process figures and give you results much faster than many human beings can. Yes, and that's why we use it every day. So it's not something to be afraid of. But very similarly, AI here will take all this knowledge that we have, and is able to give us results now um, much quicker than we would be able to do it with our own brains. Okay. So and and now we've got a, a bit of an understanding of artificial intelligence. Why is it such a prevalent topic at the moment why is it such an important area of of innovation i think um it's because if you if you look at mankind in general we've moved so much over centuries uh we started off as hunter gatherers and then you know we, we started creating and going to agri- agriculture and growing our own food and today we sit at home and we click on an app and the food gets delivered to us you know mm. so in terms of um 
advancement in terms of productivity we we are growing quite rapidly so we look at this and we say we have a lot of challenges in the world how do we answer those challenges so for example in terms of finance in term economics or, yes. or the health, health sector yes. how do we improve those kind of things and we artificial intelligence is is the next revolution that's going to make that possible it's going to allow for example a doctor i mean you might have went to a doctor uh, and you were diagnosed with something, whether it's a simple flu or whatever illness it was. And maybe you said to somebody, well, this is what the doctor said to me. And I'm sure you've heard at some point or the other, why don't you go and get a second opinion? Yes. Because yes, he is, he's an expert in his field, but that's actually what it is. It's an opinion that is providing to you. Yes. Whereas if we had AI in that space and the AI is able to take all of this learning and all of this knowledge that's available, which the doctor simply cannot know by himself immediately. Yes. And it's able to run your scans and your x-rays and all your information or your medical history and be able to say to that doctor instantly, this is exactly what he is uh, suffering from. Okay. And then the doctor, as a human being, will be able to put in the empathy and the emotional side, which humans are great at. And also to and assess what they correct. see live in front of them. Absolutely. At that point in time. So it's able to make a, a proper decision where you might not need to have a second opinion and actually come and advise you so you will be able to be treated more efficiently and much quicker than, 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 than ordinary. So these are the kind of things that AI has a potential and that is why so much of effort is being put into it. If you look at how prevalent is um, around the world right now yes. Financial fraud This is another sector where it could come in uh, I mean if you're using local banks right now I'm sure you've experienced you would receive an SMS At some point or the other saying to you An unusual activity or transaction took place uh, On your account if, if you find this out of the ordinary Please respond to this message or contact us This is AI in play Previously you would have to have a human being sitting there and going through it manually to find out, or you call into a call center and say, what's going on with my account? Yes. You know, I've just picked up this transaction. Can you investigate it and tell me what's going on? Whereas now, because of machine learning and because of AI, it's able to pick up patterns. So if you shop at a certain store for your groceries, you usually buy your clothing at some place, your debit orders come to a certain value per month. Yes. As soon as the AI algorithms pick up something out of the ordinary, it's able to automatically push that to you and say, you know what, Impumi, there's, there's a problem here. So it's really something that's, that's going to benefit and, and change the way we interact with every aspect of our lives. Okay. Um, you, you alluded earlier on to, to James Cameron and, and the Terminator example, and we've seen quite a few examples. I wrote all these films yeah. about um, the age of machines and robots that, that might come back to, to attack us. The question I have is the, the rate of evolution of artificial intelligence and, and, and how it's developing. I mean, is it really at that rate? Um, I want to reference something, something that I read, um, you know, in the early days of artificial intelligence in 1957, mm-hmm. and Herbert Simon predicted that computers would beat humans at chess within 10 years. It took about 40 years um, at the time. And, and now we know computers are far better than us at yes. playing chess. Um, and then John McCarthy, a math professor, also who organized a conference on the topic, um, also had predicted, you know, the rate at which artificial intelligence would become mainstream. And we've seen that they were both, you know, they both aired at the time. I mean, this was, you know, 50 odd years ago. Um, so if we fast forward to today, um, the, the, the narrative around artificial intelligence, the rate at which it's developing and evolving, is it really at the pace where we'll see these robots become mainstream or is it going to be a lot more measured than that? I think, yes, that's absolutely correct. And the references you, you, you made just now about it being around since the 50s, it's absolutely true. And if you look at that time frame, 
artificial intelligence in different forms has been around since the 50s. But really, in the last 10 to 15 years is when we've seen rapid development. Okay. But like any technologies, even if you look at the mobile space, if you went back 15, 20 years ago, um, just having touch screens on your phone or cameras seemed like science fiction. Absolutely. You know, and, and today the advancement in those technologies are changing every six months. Um, and, and it's incredible that you have a DSLR camera even in your device. So similarly with artificial intelligence. It is rapid because the amount of investment and the interest and also the advancement in what is available and the technologies that are available currently, you would see it speeding up. Just in 2016, you were talking about beating people at chess. Mm. Um, Google's deep mind. Uh, and, and, and if you look at the, the, the Chinese, the ancient Chinese game of Go, it's, it's even more difficult than chess. Yes. You know, in terms of the potential moves, it's hundreds of thousands more potential moves than what chess has. And, uh, Google's DeepMind got the world champ of Go together and got it to play against this machine that they've developed. And the machine beat man for the first time. And he's, he's the world champ. So experts in their field uh, said, well, this technology is 10 years ahead of its time. But that's not the incredible power of AI. Okay. Is because one year later, which was just a couple of weeks ago in 2017, uh-huh. Google took this alpha go that it, that it developed last year. So this, this piece of so, software that, that it beat. So that was actually a machine. Okay. Which, which ran on servers. It was huge. It needed, uh, I mean, it, it ran on, on, um, technology that ran on servers, 200 GPUs just to power the thing up. The cost of electricity to power this machine up to play that one session of game was 300 US dollars per minute. Wow. You know, so this machine that needed huge cooling systems, it was massive on servers, etc. They've taken that and a year later, um, they, they've created something called AlphaGo Zero, which is much smaller. I mean, it, it could probably fit in a suitcase. And this machine now, Google AlphaGo, the original version, it took them like three years to train it. It played videos of, of Lee Seedol, who was the world champ. Okay. It played videos of his previous games, etc. And it got through machine learning. It got it to learn his moves. Okay. And that's how it developed it. Now, it took the same technology, it miniaturized it, and within 72 hours, the new version was able to beat the previous version. Okay, so the machines were not playing against each other. So now they were playing against each other. And the only thing they did different is with the new machine, they've got it to, le- they gave it the rule set, how Go works, how it functions, what are the rules to play this game. And they allowed it to play itself over a three-day period. And within a three-day period by playing itself, it able to learn various moves that it could Outsmart the previous version that had to learn through video, um, you know, and it took three years to do. Wow. So that progress in just one year will exp- uh, you know, explain to you how much of development, how much of progress we are seeing in this space. So similarly, I foresee that artificial intelligence in general in the market is going to expand rapidly. Um, as, but the, the core of it is processing power because like I mentioned initially is that yes machine learning is there there's algorithms that can be got lots of smart people that's creating this but when you need to process that amount of data to make it really tangible something that everyday people can use and make a benefit in their lives you need strong computing power and this is where the challenges are because if you want that kind of computing power you need these huge machines you need the cloud you need huge electricity Um, you need cooling systems so they don't over heat and crash 
all of those things. So for you to truly become intelligent, it needs to be miniaturized. It needs to be made commercially available to everybody. And that's the space we're going into now where the likes of NVIDIA, the likes of the Qualcomm's of the world and everybody else, chipset manufacturers, are trying to see what can we do to take these processes and make it small enough that it can still handle this workload that a normal CPU cannot do. That the thousands and thousands of servers might have needed to do <laughs> in the past. Correct. And then just very quickly, because I do want to get into how this becomes consumerized and how yes, it will impact yes. us going forward. But before we get into that, um, the, the, the idea that this machine or this computer was playing against itself, and, mm-hmm. in, and, it, and I guess we can, we can suggest that it was creating its own intelligence, mm-hmm. right? Is, isn't that the area that really has brought some concern where we've seen the likes of Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg and a few, you know, Bill Gates and a lot of them starting to debate the potential threats that artificial intelligence could have on human beings and, and on humanity? Correct, yes. And uh, I think Elon Musk is, is one of the guys that's, that's really pushing hard on this, you know, yes. to say that there are real risks. Um, and, and we need to be able to identify those and regulate it. Um, Zuckerberg, on the other hand, he seems to think, and he's on the other side of the fence, saying yes. that this poten- the potential it's, it's got to, to benefit mankind completely outweighs those risks. But personally, I think that it has to be regulated. Okay. I mean, if you look at AI, let, let's take it into, into weaponry, and I think this is ideally where they're talking about are these machines able to learn to such an extent that they will get to a point where they can destroy us and they will take over? And they can control um, all the weapon can, systems yeah. and all that, yeah. You, you, you must understand something of, if you look at evil uh, in, in that sense, evil is something that you feel. Yes. Uh, and even if you look at evil people or bad person, it's not something that's just embedded in the brain, that your brain has certain networks or it's wired in a certain way that you're just inherently evil. Um, it's, it's emotions, it's feeling that go to, it's something that human beings create. Yes. A machine, on the other hand, is programmed to handle a certain task. It's given an objective. So because it doesn't have that emotion, and that's why I say human beings will always be relevant, this machine cannot feel, hey, I don't like this guy or I don't like the other machine, so I need to destroy them. Yes. They have a specific objective and a task. So if that task means um, to build a building or create a car, that it's going to find whatever way. That's the objective. It's a target. The most efficient yeah. way. To the most efficient way. That target, and yes. if efficiency means doing something that you as a human being would consider wrong or bad or evil, it's still going to do it because it doesn't know better. And that is where human beings come into play and the programmers and the developers and the creators of this, where they need to be able to have that kind of standard to say, how do we direct this? How do we get it that they don't go out of hand and Governments as well need to be able to regulate. I think the industry is moving so fast now. I mean, a few weeks ago, Russian president said that the the nation that develops or, or leads in AI first will will rule the world and dominate the world. Wow. So, if if governments are pushing and saying let's go and do this, the excitement is around is let's develop and let's create this, but rather the, the regulations being neglected. And I think it's very very important. If you look at the likes of Elon Musk, he says it's a risk, but he doesn't totally discount. Artificial intelligence and its capability. Yes. He actually has his own business and his own companies in terms of pioneering AI. But he's saying regulated, be- but because machines are going to get smarter, he's suggesting that we must be able to get human beings to develop themselves and get to the same level as the machines before they outsmart us. So we don't become the chimps in the food chain. I see. But then now let me ask the question. Um, if we're talking about regulation, um, mm. who should drive that? Because currently, I mean, this is all private investment. Mm. Mm. Uh, this is all, you know, you know, individuals, I guess, you know, whether it's individual companies or entities or even persons that are pioneering this development. How do you re- regulate such an environment? I think and that that is the challenge and that's the risk. It's because 
everything is in this one basket within these private organizations and companies. Yes. And um, when it comes to, to government and organizations, uh, they, they tend to shy away. They're just interested in what can it bring, but they're not totally involved. And they need to get to so, uh, companies, businesses and government need to work together in regulating this. It's, it's absolutely, uh, absolutely important and vital. Um, I mean, if you look right now, there's about five or six key players. In, in the industry and in the world that's, that's driving this. Mm. If government also, because they are excited of what the potential it could bring, but if they allow it to just be that, it's not going to roll out fast enough. It's not going to be a true benefit. It's going to be for the elite because five or six companies cannot bring it to scale that is going to be available and really make a difference in everyday people's lives. Absolutely. So we need to be able to put that regulation so it moves from the likes of the Google and it comes down to the small business. It comes to Cliff Central and you actually using AI in everything you do in your studios and in your broadcasts to make life better. It goes to the guys that's running a career company, so he's able to do route optimization and save costs. Um, he'll still need his drivers, but they can now work more efficiently, meaning your packages get delivered much faster and you have a better experience. For all of those things to happen, there needs to be a certain standard. Okay. And I think it's, it's business enterprise as well as government need to work together on that. Yeah. So, I mean, I know uh, even within Huawei, but across a number of organizations, we're seeing that um, AI is becoming consumerized. It's coming into, you know, everyday devices and products, etc. Um, what's happening in that space? Um, so as Huawei itself, we, we're pioneering the space. Um, trying to say, like I mentioned, it's, it's at the moment exclusive to the elite. Okay. You know, how do you bring it to consumers and let them see a difference that it makes in their lives every single day? Mm. Now, a mobile phone being an extension of who we are, I mean, you use your mobile phone without even noticing it, um, around four hours a day, actually on this, a screen on time, you know. So more than anything else, this is an extension of ourselves and our lifestyles. Indeed. If if we can put it into a, a cell phone, it's incredible. So what we have managed to do is we've managed to launch in our Mate 10 Pro the the world's first onboard AI device. Okay. So where we've put in an artificial intelligent chipset, it's called the NPU or the Neural Networking Processing Unit. So whereas other phones just run on a CPU and a GPU, which is really really powerful, and I'm not saying those chips are not, but because they didn't have this machine learning and they didn't have this process processing capability, they didn't quite understand how to handle all of these requirements, how to optimize and handle the workload. Okay. Whereas now with the NPU, it learns from your usage patterns. Okay. So the more you use the phone, the more it gets to know you. You run certain apps in the morning. You would read this website. In the evenings, you set your alarm at this time. So everything you do on your mobile device, it learns this and then it optimizes. So if you have ever used Google Now yes. uh, on your device, you would find that as soon as you click on Google, it brings in the news feeds of the stuff you're most interested in, you read more fre- most frequently. It will also bring on your travel itinerary and all those things customized to what you like it's not generic now we are saying without the need for cloud on device offline even if you don't have a sim card okay your phone is able to learn these patterns and be able to provide that information back to you on a daily basis you're going to see it speeding up so apart from just giving you information at your fingertips you're also going to speed up the processing capability thereby conserving battery power um, I mean, efficiency increases, power optimization increases, a simple thing like your camera app. So we've integrated it into the, the camera. Okay. So now the camera becomes your eyes. So when the phone, whatever it looks at, it's able to identify and understand this is a person, this is scenery, that's a mountain. How should I optimize and, and cre- set the settings of the camera automatically so you'll always get the best picture? Those are the kinds of things. But how did we do it? And what is the technology rather than just talking about the product? Yeah. So, so just before you get into that, I want to make sure that I understand the difference because… 
currently today, um, you know, if I switch on Waze or Google Maps, it kind of knows I go to the office this time of the day or, you know, the different places that I go to. And it, and it makes suggestions, you know, um, if I go on to Apple Music or onto Deezer, it kind of knows the type of music that I like, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, how is what you guys have done different to what I'm currently experiencing today? Just in very simple terms. So it gives you a much faster experience. Okay. And the most important thing is offline. Offline. Okay. So if you're using uh, Google Maps or Waze, you would notice that you need a data connection yes. for you to be able to give you these recommendations. Yes. Now we are saying because we have this processing power and this brain in the device, developers could be able to develop that app or re-engineer it to say you don't need a data connection anymore. So even if you don't have your SIM or you don't have signal, and often we find that that's a problem because you lose signal. Your NPU on the device is still being able to run that application and give you the same information. So one of the things and an example we've launched with this product is we've partnered with Microsoft and we said, Microsoft, you have one of the best translators, language translators available. And it's, it's cross platform. So whether it's on Windows or Android or iOS, it works really well. Yes. Can you take this, which is now running AI algorithms, but cloud based and re-engineer that to work offline on the NPU? And they've done just that. And the result you would find is a 300% increase in performance, but Suppose you travel internationally and you're at the airport, you didn't even get your foreign SIM card as yet. Yes. You'll be able to snap a picture of a signboard and just from that photograph, the NPU converts that into the language that you, you prefer, your language of choice. I see. You know, so I you'll see. be able to communicate or you can even do voice translation, but all offline and in real time. Because if you go just on cloud and we're saying we're going to try and combine cloud with hardware. If it's just cloud, you have problems in terms of latency. Mm-hmm. And connectivity, connectivity issues, but also privacy is huge. So maybe for language, it might not be such a problem. But what happens if you want to process images and you want to render? So if you're using an app like Prisma, for example, to take a personal photo that you've taken with yourself and your partner, mm-hmm. but you want to enhance that via AI algorithms, this is now shared to the cloud. And potentially it has a risk of somebody accessing that via the cloud. And we are saying we've now got the hardware technology where these kinds of companies will be able to re-engineer their software, put it on the phone, and you'll be able to do all of that offline, and it's completely private, encoded just for you. I see. So I see. those okay. are the kind of benefits that you'll get in real world. Okay. And this is only possible in terms of that chip. So when I mentioned Google DeepMind, um, the likes of Tesla, for example. So the Tesla uh, T100, which is used, uh, is developed by NVIDIA. It costs three billion US dollars to develop. It's considered the world's most intelligent AI chipset at the moment, and it runs their self-driving vehicles, etc. Okay. This chipset for AI consists of 21.1 billion transistors. So what that essentially does, it's able to run more tasks while being more efficient. The more transistors you have, the more efficient. Okay. But it still needs cooling systems. It still needs all of this. What we've managed to do in this phone, we've managed to take a chipset and put in 5.5 billion transistors in one centimeter squared. Wow. Now that's a quarter of what I've just mentioned in Tesla, which runs on a server. And we've taken a quarter of that power and put it into a smartphone and we put it in your hand, which you don't need constant electricity to power it up. You don't need advanced cooling systems. You charge your phone. You have a 4,000 milliamp battery. Put it in your pocket and you go. And you got quarter of that processing power. This is the first um, version or generation of this chip on a mobile phone. We are saying we're encouraging the market and industry as a whole. 
and even our competitors to go out there and find out the capability and re-engineer. By the time we reach generation two or three, you're going to have that advanced processing power in the palm of your hands. And that's essentially what we want to do. So now let's, let's look forward a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm sure, you know, when you guys are launching the products, when you're talking about it, you've got a vision of some of the things that will become possible, yeah. right? And, and let's talk about it from a consumer perspective. Sure. Um, what are some of the things that you foresee within the next couple of years that we will be able to do with this enhanced processing power, with this new technology that you've put into your mobile devices? What are the types of things you're going to be able to do? So in simple terms, as the product stands right now, you, you've got the enhanced photography functions, but because the phone can see using the camera and the AI, suppose uh, a developer creates software that's able to identify food because we know how how much we love taking pictures of food nowadays. Yes. And the phone already, if you point it to food, it'll tell you it's food, so to enhance that picture. Okay. But a software engineer could be able to develop an app, an Android app, and say, when you point this at your food, it'll tell you how many calories are in there. It'll be able to tell you what's the sugar content, so if you are health conscious or you're on a diet, whatever it is. Those are some of the basic things that can be done now. The advancement into the future over the next 6, 12 months, let's forget about the years because of this processing power. Everything is becoming connected. I mean, we have smart TVs at our home. We're looking at the Internet of Things. We now have Google Home and all of these devices talk to each other. Yes. But your handset, your mobile phone is still that entry point. It's that key that communicates with everything else. We just spoke about self-driving vehicles. Yes, self-driving vehicles is a thing. And maybe in the next couple of years, it'll be here in South Africa. But again, in order to access that and to enhance that experience, your phone is still going to be the remote control and it's going to be able to, I mean, you're going to do navigation. You're going to control that car. Whatever you're going to do, it's phone gonna is gonna your phone is going to play part. very big part and this is why you're looking at operators and network operators also is pushing into 5g technology this is another space because with the speed and the power of 5g in terms of data transfer remember in terms of ai we say there's a lot of data there's huge amounts of data that needs to be transmitted and processed so right now in china for example we've piloted um, two bus routes where we're running self-driving buses and uh, just on two routes though But these buses now transmit 4,000 gigs of data per day Through the server Now imagine how incredible this is Because if this machine This self-driving bus Is not able to react If a vehicle pulls in in front of him yes. um, Fast enough He's going to crash He's going to put in the lives in danger So there is no opportunity There's no for opportunity latency, for latency. Yeah. So 5G is going to bring These kinds of technology To say milliseconds Nanoseconds You're going to have that data transmitted Yes, 5G can do that, but if you don't have a smartphone that can process that data and is also 5G capable, for example, to be able to transmit, it's absolutely useless. So 5G is going to enhance the Internet of Things. It's going to enhance our access to AR, VR. Um, I mean, our homes would become completely automated. And your phone needs to have that processing capability to connect you to these future technologies. Mm. And that's what we're saying is for it to come through and for people to see the true benefit, we have that already. We're waiting for everything else to fall into place. I see. And, and what's coming to mind as you're speaking, I'm thinking in terms of healthcare. You know, yeah. you know, if the phone can see it's got eyes, you can point it at some a wound or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Then it can already start to say, oh, this is a serious matter. Contact the doctor. So there's various things that Correct. we can start to do. Once our devices, whether, I mean, whatever that form factor becomes in yes, the future, yes, but yes. once our mobile devices start to become a lot more intelligent. And this is why we've made this device specifically an open platform. And what that means is usually chipset manufacturers, and we create our own chipsets. So usually handset manufacturers block out the hardware, and we know Google is an open platform, Android itself, and it's much easier for people to develop. So right, right now we've made the platform open on our chipset because we've designed it with Google's TensorFlow. 
So we're saying go out there and find more capabilities. If you take TensorFlow, which this is created on, and you look at the beta version, just what you were speaking about healthcare right now, we have to identify food and people. But TensorFlow, you'll be able to point it at a bottle. You'll be able to point it at a watch on your wrist or any item. Right now, we can test that, and it'll tell you what it's looking at. Okay. It wouldn't do anything else. Yes, right? but, but it, it, it tell knows you, what it, it is. It knows what it is because of those machine learning algorithms. So we're saying to developers, we created this based on TensorFlow. Take Google's TensorFlow platform and use that technology to create more enhanced applications that will bring real-world benefit to our people. We are not a software company. We're a hardware company. Okay. We've now put the processing power in your hand. Developers go crazy. That's essentially what we're saying. I see. So let's then broaden the discussion again a little bit. Um, artificial intelligence. Um, I can see how it starts to become very relevant in the consumer space. Um, for corporates and companies, how does it start to take shape in that space? I think for corporates and companies, it's, it's all about um, efficiency. And I, I don't like the word automation. Okay. A lot of people were talking about automation and businesses wanted to automate everything. And that's where the fear started coming in. If you automate everything, what happens to us? Yeah. You know, people losing people, jobs. People, people losing jobs. And that's a, that's a real scary thought. But rather, instead of saying automation, it optimizes or amplifies what we're currently doing. So if you're an accountant, for example, um, and you're working at a company, all of the mundane tasks of going through papers and data and of multiple clients and processing all of that, whether you're doing someone's tax returns or whatever it is, the AI is able to gather all that information, make sense of it, and then spew out results to you. So you'll be able to take that and make a decision and then advise your client because the AI is not going to sit there and provide advice. It's just going to provide data. Yes. But it's taking out that time so you can actually concentrate on offering a more efficient service. In terms of the financial space, the same kind of things that are going to happen. AI is going to optimize and amplify what we can do. So you could walk in and you could have that personal interaction and that time. Um, same thing in, in, in terms of uh, any environment, I think, is that it will help businesses provide. We're always complaining, especially here in South Africa, about the kind of service we receive. Yes. You know, we want that more personal interaction. We want that personal touch. Mm. And but I think that's what it's going to allow us to do because the mundane tasks are removed. Yeah. But isn't that a utopian view? So, you know, if, if I look at the objective of, of any corporate, it is to maximize returns for, for shareholders fundamentally. And if I then listen to what you've been talking about, about the rate at which artificial intelligence is evolving and the complexity of the tasks that it's able to achieve, that suggests to me that, yes, ideally we would want there to be a significant role for human beings to play. But if I read into what you're telling me, that's going to become more and more diminished as we can achieve more computers because they're just going to be better at it, cheaper at it. And, um, you know, in many cases, the biggest cost in a company is, in effect, people. the people. Yeah. yeah. How do you respond to that? I think you, you are right when you say this is what businesses want. And it's purely because of the lack of understanding of what types of AI are available. Okay. If you're getting to the point where we're talking about general AI and you're talking about super AI, which we're not there yet, potentially, I mean, we have to see how it plays out. And I can't even put a timeline. Nobody really can put a timeline on that and when it's going to happen. But what is available now and what we are trying to optimize that's currently in market is not going to be at that level because any type of business, whether it is in, in a service business or it's in a product sales business, you still need a human connection. And yes, you can say it optimizes all this task, but who's going to deal with your customers? The AI is not going to be able to pick up, is not going to pick up that phone and be able to call your customer and give him that sound advice. It just gives him data. So uh, I think when it comes to that 
empathy, when it comes to having that conversational skills, when it comes to also trust factor. A business would know that, yes, I can put this behind the scenes to optimize my processes, maybe in manufacturing. Yes. But when I have somebody that comes in that I need to, that needs convincing or he needs to have that trust element, I cannot put a machine in front of him. So you would ask the question then, well, if it's in the back end in terms of manufacturing, what happens to those guys? I think we have to see how it plays out. But with any technology revolution, you would be worried. If you look at years back when smartphones came out, or cell phones in general. Yes. Especially here in South Africa, we thought about, well, what about the guys that work in fixed landlines? Yeah. They've got likes of telecom, et cetera. Are they all going to lose their jobs? Um, and, and it was scary. What you have found is that it created an entire new industry and telecom still survives. And now telecom runs both fixed and mobile. Yes. You know, it creates opportunities where it says that, well, these tasks can be optimized or automated or enhanced and amplified. But now it gives us the available, the, 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 the time to say, how do we expand our skills? Because we have skills that the machine can never have. And that is in terms of interaction, feeling, emotion, etc. Conversational skills. And we can take that and we can enhance that and say, how do we make make that as a benefit? So I think an entire new industry will come out and say, human beings, you are better at many, many other things. Move on to that and, and really put your, your, your skills into play. Mm. You know, if you look at, I, I don't know if, you, if you've been following, but recently, and I think a lot of these topics come out because there was a robot recently called Sophia. Yes, the one that uh, launched was it in, yeah. in Dubai. Correct. Yeah, yes. yeah. So, and Saudi Arabia gave it citizenship, yeah. which I thought was absolutely crazy. You know, but um, here's a robot that has AI or a form of AI, and it was able to have a conversation. But once again, it had a conversation with absolutely no feeling. You know, it just said what it was programmed to say. That was mm, it. Mm. And previously, the previous version of that robot, when it when p- people asked it, um, "What do you think of human beings? You know, would would you would you annihilate them or kill them completely?" She actually um, responded in the affirmative. You know, but it was. Something that needed to be tweaked again, but she could not do that because her skill set and what she was programmed to do was only within that ream. It was limited. So she couldn't even act out on the task, but because her engineer programmed her to respond to be able to create a story. Yeah, and now she says, yeah, well, I said that at that time, but I will never do that. You know, I still, um, but where it becomes scary is if a machine is able to gain consciousness and become self-aware. Okay. I think that is a time when we should be worried. Um, and, is that a, a time that's that's nearby? I don't. I, I hope not, because when something becomes self-aware, then then it 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 surpasses what or, or what does it leave for human beings? You know, what is it to be human? We mm. we might lose that essence, and it's because the machine thinks then that it's human because it's able to react. So once it has knowledge or we give it that capability to enhance itself to a level where it thinks it has feelings and it thinks it can react in those ways, very similar to a human level, then it can make those decisions as in like and dislike and evil and good, etc. Was that not a similar case with Facebook? I mean, I know they had a they had a machine or a computer that um, you know started to teach itself things outside of the scope within of what it was programmed to do and they eventually shut it down what was the situation okay there? so i i think again it's it's a lot of fear mongering okay. among those that didn't quite understand what's going on so with the facebook thing they had these two machines this ai machines that were battling against each other um to sell virtual products okay. so it's or, or trade and barter so it gave them a hat and a ball and whatever else and said okay now you need to trade between each other and find ways to to convince the other machine that your product is better than theirs so they need to take it so the, the developers were sitting and, and, and watching what was going on. And after a little while, 
the conversation changed and it was very, very random conversation that was coming up. And, and yes, they were terrified at that time because they didn't know what it was. And the story that came out was this machines created their own language. Okay. Okay. To communicate again with each other so they can, so the human beings don't know what they're talking about and they can take over. You know, it, it was, it was nothing like that. Like we mentioned earlier on, if you give it a specific task, AI is going to find the most efficient way to be able to deliver that task. Because that's all it's programmed to do. Yes. So their objective was to convince each other. They found that the normal English language, like we are speaking right now, took too long. Now, how often, especially in, in our local cultures, we'll take an English word and we'll shorten it. Yes. You know, we have our own ways of, of saying stuff. Yeah. Because uh, it still makes sense and it means the same thing. So these machines took what they were saying and they're like, but it takes me three letters or five words to put string together a sentence. I can now do that in two words. So to the human beings that were listening to that, it didn't make sense at all. But to them, they knew what they were saying and they were still carrying on that transaction. I see. So it was nothing evil and, and nothing really bad, but our fears because of the unknown is what got us to stop it. But later when we understood what it was, then it came back online. And it's mainly because we're still learning as we go around. We don't know what it is. So everything that seems scary will just put a, a stop on it. But these machines are so smart that they just find ways of optimizing themselves. I see. And that, that, that's, that's all it was. It's still scary. It's yeah. still scary. <laughs> okay, so then l- let me then get a bit philosophical because we, we're on this topic. Um, you know, if you look at um, conversations around the the U.S. elections, if you look at conversations around social media, and you spoke about four hours we spend on our devices today, you know, a big part of that would probably be emails, WhatsApp, and then a whole lot of social media interactions. Um, and I was at a conference a couple of weeks back called the Knowledge Summit, and they spoke about... Uh, one of the speakers talked about algorithms algorithms, and how they form a part of everyday life, you know. And I started thinking about, you know, a lot of things that I assume are organic. So I assume my Facebook posts come in the order that they were posted. For example, just, you know what I mean? Mm, that, that's yeah, the assumption yeah, you make, yeah. you know. Instagram pictures, I assume, well, this one came first, this one, you know what I mean? And I started to think about these algorithms, and then I realized that actually these things appear based on some predetermined yes. system. Okay, so the question then comes to when we start looking at artificial intelligence, vis-a-vis whether it's an algorithm, whether it's machine learning, these things are coded by humans and inherently human beings are biased, you know, we're biased people. How does that start to influence society going forward? Because the content we consume four hours on a mobile device, you guys are putting new chipsets in, they're probably going to grow to five, six hours. I don't know what that's going to look like. More and more, our worlds are going to, you know, revolve around these devices, technology, algorithms, and all these things that are happening in the digital sphere. How does that shape society? Because, you know, I'm talking about this inherent human bias that's built into the way these things are coded. How is that going to shape the way that life plays out? You know, information gets disseminated, opinions are formulated, perceptions are created. This is this is the actual part of AI that that terrifies me, because machines are not evil. But human beings are, and can be, and have great potential to be. They're also good. Yeah, human beings yeah, also yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it, it, definitely. Uh, but machines right now don't have the capability to be evil. 
Whereas human beings have that. Yes. You know, and, um, I mean, if you, if you look at war, if you look at weapons, automated and self-driven weapons, they're all available and you can program something to go and destroy whatever. But in terms of algorithms, with, with consumerism being so, so rife everywhere, companies want to get into your mind and get you to purchase and, and various things. Or if you come in and, and you look specifically in terms of South Africa, what's been happening re- recently, especially on social media in terms of racism and bias and all of those kind of stuff. Yes. These algorithms can definitely be Program to do that uh, and, and to have this bias And I think That's what terrifies me Is that when we go back To the conversation About regulation Similar to For example The last technology That everybody was talking about Was um, So I, I can't even These Helicopters and, oh, the drones. and drones and, and, yes. and, and things like that. So the yes. drones that goes and especially drones with cameras. Yes. You know, um, it wasn't regulated initially and now regulation is coming up more and more. I mean, many countries are either starting to ban it or put something in place because of the invasion of privacy. Yes. So even companies that are using it as a delivery mechanism are now being regulated because of the potential it has to cause damage. Similarly, I'm saying here, yeah, there's when AI comes in, we need to be responsible and those that are or have the potential to cause damage should be banned and should be scrapped. They shouldn't be allowed. And yes, you cannot avoid it all. Um, I don't think any form of regulation, you're still going to have it creeping in. But if we can get the large percentage and large majority of it being available to perform good, then I think it would be okay. But we need all parties and not just government and business, but also consumers and users and people, general citizens like us, going out there and saying, how do we re- be responsible? But we should not at the same time completely shun the technology because if you look at any form of technology, it has its risks. The simple motor vehicle, with all the advancements we had, I mean, back in the day, you didn't even have a seat belt in a car. Now it's become compulsory to put it on, even though you have all of the airbags and everything else and all these safety standards that come with it. We still see people have accidents and many people die and lose their lives. It doesn't mean we will never jump into another car again. You know, it has a risk, but can we be responsible drivers? Can we drive without drinking and, and do all of these things? So similarly with, with AI, it has a lot of positives. It has a lot of potential to cause damage. How are we as users responsible in order to use that information and that technology, but also how is government and business and enterprise going to be able to do that? Um, and it's left to us as, as as people, as human beings, to be able to figure that out. Mm, so the human aspect of um, it is still very important. It's very important. And I think this is something that I want to stress is that those kind of aspects for many companies have not been figured out as yet, purely because of the race to be the first to be able to launch these technologies. Yes. Those things haven't been thought about. And that is why the likes of Elon Musk is so terrified and he's always very vocal about it to say, yes, we have advanced and we're doing this, but can we just pull together um, and, and be responsible and regulate this? So I think people should listen to him. Absolutely. Yeah. So you know, before we wrap up on the show, um, I'm, I'm going to then ask you a couple of questions, which I ask all the guests um, around two things. Uh, the first being uh, your vision, um, you're African, you're South African, yes. uh, but Huawei is, is a global organization with ambitions throughout the continent as well. What is your vision for South Africa and for the continent? Specifically in terms of this space? Specific oh. to oh. your to own vision. Yeah, not to you, your own vision. So, I mean, we've, we've had quite a, a rich conversation. Yes, you yes, know, we've yes, touched yes, on yes. various aspects. So with all that in mind, 
uh, within the context of you being South African and African? What is your vision for, for the continent, I, I, for the country? I, I think right now um, we're at very exciting times, specifically for South Africa. And if you look at what's happening in the rest of the continent in terms of the likes of Zimbabwe and, and everything that's going on right now, mm. etc., from a political perspective, from a technological perspective, we have always in, in Africa been excluded or, or we've excluded ourselves. We felt the rest of the world goes that way. It's okay. We're content with what we've had. But we'll wait and see. Yeah, what we'll wait and see. And, and we've, we were delayed to move on. But in terms of our challenges, and we had specific challenges that are unique to us over the last however many years, you found that our people have become stronger and they started coming out more. Not just in terms of adopting technology, but actually standing their ground, being more vocal, getting more involved in, in world matters and what's happening around them. Yes. And this has brought us to the space where the world has, is starting to pay interest in Africa and in South Africa specifically and say, well, now, you know, this is what they want. Let's take it to them. And I, I think it's very, very exciting time. So yes, we are struggling. Yes, we have our challenges. We have difficulties. But if we get through this point, I think it's going to be an incredible next couple of years. Fantastic. And then on the show, before I conclude, as you know, you know, we talk about disruption. We talk about emerging technologies, emerging business models. Um, it's not necessarily about technology, but it's really about how the world is changing around us. Um, how do you define disruption for yourself and within Huawei? I think disruption is, will, will be anything that's, um, that's game changing, but actually provides a unique, a unique offering or a unique benefit. Something that, for example, this topic that we just spoke about or that, that people doesn't generally or don't generally understand the full concept of, but the immense power and the potential is something that we should spend our time on. Um, I, I would, I would identify that as, as the ultimate disruption. Okay. And within Huawei, how do you guys identify a disruption within your organization? I think we're always disrupting. <laughs> um, being being the pioneer in various technologies, um, being the number one telecommunications provider in the world, which most people don't know. Um, the fact that we've only really created our, our first mobile phone back in 2009 and in South Africa in 2010 to bring them on, which is like seven years. And today we're sitting and having a conversation about us bringing the world's first AI embedded chipset. Um, that is, I think disruption is embedded in our culture. Thank you very much, Akram. Thank you for joining us on the show today. It's been a fascinating conversation and all the best um, from Huawei perspective, but also personally with the work that you're doing. Uh, we appreciate you being on the show. Thank you to everybody who's joined us on Disruptive and Boom in Tlapo. Um, it's been another great episode. Um, to our sponsors, T-Systems, for making the platform available. Thank you very much. You can follow T-Systems at www.unoutsource.com. .co.za. That's www.unoutsource.co.za. The hashtag is disrupt with Mpumintlapo. Thank you and see you again next week. My pleasure. Thank you for having us. This is cliffcentral.com.